Dear Father in heaven, our minds turn to thee and think with awe, with wonder of a great God, and think also with warmth and feeling in our breast of, of thy love and thy great mercy towards us. This gives us such joy, dear Father, that we can sing these songs that cause us to reflect on our own waywardness and how thou hast dealt with us, dear Father, and how thou should now change us to be instruments to reach out to others. Dear Father, we pray that that would happen this afternoon hour, that thy word would reach out to all those that haven't experienced the mercy and the, the grace of God in the full measure in Christ Jesus. Dear Father, each one of us has experienced daily mercy, daily grace, as we have gotten up each day and, and are allowed to live another day on this earth, in this good country, uh, with very little in terms of physical wants. But dear Father, we realize that there is a great need for the soul and that all these things cannot satisfy what is within us, dear Father. And that's the reason that we come this afternoon hour. It's not habit, it's not tradition, it's not just simply because we want to see other people, dear Father, but we have a, a hunger and a thirst for thy word, which we believe is ministered, is dispensed in a special way, just by the simple gathering of, of believers around thy word, not the credentials or the qualifications of anyone that would stand up here or anyone that would pray or the singing that we would sing, dear Father, it's not based on that, dear Father, but we believe simply trusting in thee, in the power of thy word, thou wilt be present here in the, in the special way that thou hast promised. Dear Father, we pray for those that couldn't be here. We pray for those that were here this morning and are not here now, dear Father. We pray that thou wouldst be with each one. Draw them closer, dear Father, to thee. Draw all of us closer to thee. As we've heard this morning, draw us more into the image. Make us more complete together into the image of Jesus Christ. Dear Father, we thank thee for this opportunity in this good day of grace. We pray that it would continue and thy word would continue until thou would return again. Uh, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to continue on with the uh, Second Corinthians, um, I've been preaching through, and it was very interesting to hear Brother Edmund embarking on First Corinthians this morning. Second Corinthians chapter four. Just wanted to say that just in case you don't know. Um, None of the brothers that are preached are, are, are that preach here are constrained uh, to preach. You know, we're not instructed certain things or certain passages that we need to preach, and it's as the Holy Spirit moves and guides. And I think um, this morning, as as Brother Edmund was preaching, it is to me a witness of the Spirit of God working um, that um, as as these as we listen and as uh, those that are called up here to preach uh, are moved to certain passages or to simply open. I see a working of God's spirit in that. I'm, in, I'm encouraged in that. And I think it's, it's, it's not always the case. Um, I was just thinking, well, I was reading recently, uh, it's been a year or so ago, the, the life of George Miller and how he had his conversion in Germany. This is the, 
that um, the one who operated the orphanages in England, Bristol, in the 1800s. And he had his conversion in a Bible study that was only allowed to meet because they would read the prepared sermon uh, that was mandated by the state church um, that was approved beforehand. And that was the reason they, were, they, had, they could read that sermon first and then they could have a Bible study and then they could discuss among themselves. And it was in that setting that he was convicted of the word of God and, and ministered to that way. So I'm very appreciative of that, and I think that's a good thing. Um, as, the, as we listen to each other, as the Spirit of God moves in us, that uh, we are moved. And I love to see how the Word of God, spoken by different members, different brothers, um, dovetails together. I pray that would happen uh, in the next, as much as the Lord would lead, um, as we consider these scriptures in First and Second Corinthians. So First Corinthians chapter 4. Let's, let's read the whole chapter and see where we get. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I'm sorry. I'm doing 2 Corinthians, not 1st. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the eyes of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, 
but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I've read to the end of the chapter. May God bless the reading of his word. So as we are going through 2 Corinthians here, and um, in chapter 4, I'd like to maybe help have you cast your mind a little bit back to some of the previous messages, some of the bigger themes of this, this letter. Maybe a contrast to 1 Corinthians, where Paul is dealing with a lot of very specifics, as, as mentioned this morning, about letters, questions he'd received, things, confusion, things that they didn't understand in Corinth or, or were um, having problems with. It seems to me that 2 Corinthians is much more focused on one major, one or two major things. And, and the one major thing is the trouble that they're giving Paul about his apostleship, that some people, some individuals have come from elsewhere likely and uh, are opponents of Paul and, and are speaking down about his apostleship and are... Um, you know, you, you get a sense, it, it, these things aren't direct. We kind of, we're surmising a bit as, as you read and piece these letters together that some of the accusations that were thrown at him, one of them that he wasn't a good and polished speaker, that, that they were used to, as we heard, this is an ed, Corinth was an educated city. These people were educated. They had certain expectations of the sermons that they would hear or the exhortations they would hear. And um, Paul evidently in some ways didn't meet that. One other thing was, as, as you get later in this epistle, one theme he returns to is the fact that he did not take funds from them. He wasn't financially supported by the church in Corinth. He said, I specifically didn't do this. I specifically didn't do this so that no one would take away this, this, this glorying I have in the Lord, that no one would give a, an occasion, an excuse to say Paul's doing this for ulterior motives. In effect, to make it harder for my opponents, those false apostles, to to really walk the talk. So here in chapter four, I think, you know, he's taking a bit of a digression from, from chapter one and chapter two where he explained, you know, I didn't come, I wanted to give you time to, to consider uh, that severe, that harsh letter that I wrote to you to, to, uh, as an answer to this, this trouble. He takes a bit of a digression in chapter three where he compares the, 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 New Test, the Old Testament to the New Testament and the glories of it and, and ends on the, the, the ministration of the Spirit. And I think now he's kind of reflecting, okay, this is the, that's the big picture, this, this glorious uh, New Testament that we have that we've been made ministers of, that this, this, this grand theme that we've been given, but the practical reality is now, okay, we have a ministry, we've been given this, and there are challenges and difficulties. There, there are reasons, there could be reasons to faint, he says, but we, we've received, we have received this ministry and we faint not. You know, you can appreciate 
the splendors of the New Testament, the glories of the gospel, think you can appreciate them in one sense. You can know them from your mind and say, yes, I, I understand the plan of salvation and I see how it uh, is prophesied in the Old Testament and it's all revealed in Christ and, and this is wonderful and I can you know, read all the commentaries on it and, and, and understand everything. But in a sense, you do not understand. You do not really see the glory of Christ until you get into the trenches until you actually start to suffer with Christ so that the life of Christ may be manifested in you. That's what here's in chapter four. And after that glory, glorious previous chapter, he says, now we need to walk the walk of those that minister the, the gospel. And that's not just those that speak it from a pulpit, it's each one of us. We are made ministers, able ministers of the New Testament. There is a very real consequence of whether we take this path of difficulty, of challenge, or not. And I think that's part of the struggle in Corinth. Part of what Paul was looking at, the believers in Corinth, and sorrowing, I suppose, grieved in his heart because they wanted to take the easy route. They wanted the, the glitzy and the, and, the, and the flashy. They wanted exciting church in the sense of gifts and speakers and things happening on one level here, but they didn't really want the Christianity, the messy, the difficult, the unglamorous Christianity that Paul was trying to show them, was trying to show them in himself. This is what he describes about himself. You know, we are, we are, Troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. That was part of the accusation, I think. I can, that's another surmising. That the, the Corinthians, those that opposed Paul, had. Was that, Paul, you're suffering too much. Things are too difficult for you. You know, if you were really an apostle, if you really had God's power, things wouldn't be so difficult for you. Could that maybe be a accusation that Satan hurls at us at times too, brother and sister. Things are too difficult. They shouldn't be this difficult. If I was really, if I really had God's power, I wouldn't be facing this challenge and that life would be easier. You know what? Paul actually in this epistle says, no, no, no. The real evidence of God's power the real fruit of God working in me is in these sufferings, is in the endurance and the, 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 uh, what he works out. When I am weak, then I am strong. That's where he ends up at the end of the, the epistle in chapter 12. It takes a different way of looking at things, and I think this is how we begin to see the glory of, of the Lord in a different way than saying, I understand the plan of salvation. I understand things are, are, are um, we have it so much better in the New Testament. But actually seeing God work through our challenges, our difficulties, you know, as Paul starts the letter, you know, all the tribulation we went, went through was for your benefit, the comfort which we can comfort you now. We are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. 
Paul is, is seeing the glory of God manifest itself in his sufferings because he says he sees now how this is working for the Corinthians, how it's, how it's, it's affecting them, how it's, it's, it's opening an avenue of the gospel. I think if you can't see this, you know, my friend outside of, of Christ, if you can't see the real glory of the Christian life in this sense, you know, you may look at it from the outside and think, well, this is, you know, what's so special about you Christians? You know, how, what's so different about you? You know, you seem to suffer the same things, maybe even worse, you know, in times of persecution, definitely worse than others. What's so great about being a Christian? You, know, you talk about this gospel on one level here, but then your lives, they don't look that glorious and that glamorous. My friend, I can say, based on this scripture that's staring me here in the face, that you're blind. You have been blinded. Our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God, should shine unto them. My friend outside of Christ, you're blinded. You cannot see God's glory. And, you know, if you, if you persist in unbelief, you will never see it. It is only by believing that you begin to see what life is really about, how glorious God really is, and how much he lives and dwells inside of you and inhabits you, can inhabit you, if you let him. So my friend outside of Christ, you know, I talk about these things or, or we talk about the sufferings and um, God's plan to conform us to the image of Christ, but that's, you know, it, it's, it's not even something you can understand intellectually. You know, I, I thought I understood things about God's word when I was seeking, quote unquote, but it is only as I walk as a Christian for some years that I... I, I that last verse of the previous chapter means more to me, that we all with an open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. It's only as I behold these things in... You know, I like that the King James keeps the in the glass there, that context of a mirror in the sense of, it's not just that I'm beholding God, but I'm beholding God and in some sense myself and myself being changed into that reflection of, of what I'm looking at, the image, the true image of Jesus, that I begin to see God's glory really working. So I think we can only start to, to really see God's glory as we experience the sufferings of the Lord. And my friend outside of Christ, I don't think you can see that if you don't believe. You know, there is this duality. There's this carrying about, these verses 10 and 11 here. Always bearing about in the body, talking about our body, our physical bodies, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. 
And this is, again, the contrast from the previous chapter. You know, the previous chapter, the glorious, the Lord is that spirit. That the, the glory of the New Testament is the Holy Spirit living within us. And, and um, um, this is a spiritual thing. It's not a, a physical thing. Here's the counterpart of it. That all of this happens within our physical bodies. Within, not divorced from, not separated from our physical bodies that this dying of the Lord Jesus and living of the Lord Jesus is made manifest in our physical bodies. And that simply means that we crucify this flesh. We use this flesh to honor and glorify God. And that is, again, a way of seeing God's glory. It's, it's not a mental exercise. It's not something that's, you know... We do our religious exercises and then go satisfy the needs of our body. No, this is a 24-7, a living in this body in a way that glorifies God. That's not really what I want anymore or what this flesh, what feels good. It's what the Lord wants. That's, that's Paul's, that's what drives him. You know, that's, that's what, you know, he's going to expand on this in the subsequent chapters on uh, to give you some details you know as he as he kind of now says okay you you want to these false apostles these these guys who are standing up to me in Corinth and giving you a hard time and 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 uh, deceiving you you want to line some things up okay let's line some of the sufferings of Christ up and he goes through a list a detail he says this is what I've experienced in my physical body over the past number of years line that up with the big talk and the uh the emotional maybe impact of, of a grand statement, something that looks and feels religious but really is not, doesn't have the power. I look at Paul and, and it's inspiring and you go, wow, that was Apostle Paul. He had a special calling. He's an apostle. And you think that's a separate category. And I think that thinking is also wrong. I don't think Christianity has a, a tiered plan. You know, we can choose... You know, Christianity level A, Christianity level B, level C. In the sense of, of we have some sort of, um, um, you know, I'll choose the option that's a little less, but will still get me there anyway. Like when I'm picking my in, insurance level that I want for, for work, you know, I have to figure out what's the cost, benefit. No, it doesn't work like that. I don't think Christianity works like that. I don't think that was Paul's burden to the church at Corinth. Each one of us has our own body, has our own uh, will, our own desires, and each one of us are called to lay that on the altar, to crucify it. And, and that is different from person to person. How this scripture about suffering and enduring and sacrificing, how that, it's going to look different for everyone. There's different callings, different things, but it's going to come down to the same level, the same crucifying of our own flesh to let the life of Christ also be manifest in us. So I may be talking in a not very encouraging way. You think, well, Christianity is all about suffering and it's all about difficulties and it's all, all about crucifying the flesh. But no, it's... You know, this all starts from belief, right? It all starts from believing in the Lord Jesus. That's what leads us and starts us on that path. And that's what sustains us, too. 
that's where he ends up in the end of this chapter, is it's the hope set before us. You know, when we look at, if we really believe the, the promises, the glory that is awaiting, the eternal weight of glory, that puts everything in perspective in terms of what we're going through or the difficulties we're experiencing. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. I don't know what the future holds for me. You don't know what the future holds for you. God only knows that. But God has promised sufficient grace for today, for just to believe, to make those decisions, to do those things that lead on that path to glory, that conform you to the image of Christ. I'm not the one doing the conforming. That's not an operation of man. It's not as I do these things, as I suffer, as I um, go through difficulties that I'm somehow molding and shaping myself. No, there is a faith and a trust in this whole process that God is changing me, that he is transforming me. And that just, that's a day-by-day thing. I think that's a, that's a, a, a moment-by-moment trusting that my response in this situation, that I won't just throw up my hands in despair and say, ah, woe is me. You know, we have those moments, but by faith, by trusting in God, we get through them and we come back to a place of the Lord will work all things for his glory. He will work this for his good, for, for the good of those that trust in him. Each battle, each day that goes through that, that, that process, the Lord has promised that that is a conforming. That is a, a glory to him. That is, a, that is a, an opening, a, a dropping of the veil of us now seeing more and more of the glory of God. That's the testimony of the early church, of suffering for the Lord as they were led, as, as a, I preached just a little bit ago on, on the, some of the final words that Jesus had to Peter about how the manner of death, you know, when you're old, you're, you're going to be taken and... and, and you know, P- Peter wasn't, it wasn't revealed all to him at that moment, but he, as he went through his earthly ministry, he got to that glorious and blessed end. And that's also the testimony of everyone um, that has suffered for the Lord. For which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. We have a choice, and and my friend outside of Christ, I think this is the part, the blinded part, is that you can only see the physical. You can only see um, the here and now in some sense. You know, you may say, yeah, I, I believe in some of these concepts about there is a God and that there is a heaven and that there is a hell, which I can't see, but real belief Real faith is manifested. It, it, it comes out in the doing and, and, and the action. And I think you are still looking at the temporal things. You're still looking at yourself and what you can accomplish and not seeing the glory of God. May the Lord help us to see, like Apostle Paul did, what is awaiting for those that not only preach the gospel, the first part of this chapter, 
but suffer for the gospel and the promise that is awaiting them in the gospel. May the Lord make that clear to us this coming week as the the different things, challenges flood in upon us, the different feelings that we have, the different oppositions, the different conflicts, whatever it may be. May the Lord help us to bear in our bodies the dying of the Lord Jesus so that the life also of him may be manifest in our bodies. The eternal weight of glory. New Testament was written in Greek, but in the Hebrew, which Apostle Paul knew, the word for glory, if I'm not mistaken, chabad, also means weight. I think Paul didn't put this phrase together accidentally for the Holy Spirit through Paul. An eternal weight of glory. You know how we tell the value of things a lot of times? Or one easy way to tell, you know, something that looks good versus something you want to ascertain the real value. It's weight, right? Gold is a classic example. Like with coins, you'd, you'd weigh them, you'd see whether the weights, you know, if it it was something that was just gilded or covered on the outside but didn't have the real value, gold has a certain density and weight to it, it's more valuable. I think Paul was concerned with the, the church in Corinth, and I think the Holy Spirit is concerned with the church in Toronto that we may be too interested or too satisfied with things that are little value, that are light, that have no depth, no weight to them. But if we would, with a willing heart, go into the sufferings of Christ, and how does that experience? As we pursue his path, as we do the things that he does, as we follow him in his heart, we'll experience the sufferings of Christ. As we do those things, we will experience the eternal weight of glory, the things that are valuable, the things that are, have real value, that we want to put and, and, and keep with us forever. And God's glory will be revealed to us. My friend outside of Christ, there is nothing of lasting value in this world. I can say that um, based upon the truth, of, experience, uh, truth of, of Scripture and my own experience and the experience of those that have gone before me. I can say that 100%. There is nothing of lasting value. And in good things, you look at the world around, you say, all oh, these things are good. They're, there's nothing wrong with them. They're not lasting. They slip through our fingers. The only way to experience things that are of eternal value, eternal weight of glory that are going to last is through Christ. Experience these things, all of these things through Christ, whether it's relationships or even something like a job or uh, an experience, a good experience. You have to experience it through Christ and according to his purposes and his will the thing now has value. It has lasting value, value that's going to last for all eternity. May God help us to differentiate between the weight of different coinage this week, the things that are light, that are just ephemeral, and the things that are lasting, that have an eternal weight of glory. May, with that, we we commend you to God's grace. May he keep you, may he protect you this coming week, and uh, that we'll be able to assemble again if it's his will in another week.